0: We need the Lord's touch in our country, don't we? If there's ever been a time that we've needed a revival, it's today. And this verse has gripped me for some time. Look at Acts chapter number four, verse number 31. Would you join with me in standing as we read from the word of God tonight? And um, Lord, I pray that you use these truths and use this message. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts as only you can. We long to hear your voice, Lord, in our hearts, please. We ask for power. Oh God, touch us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Acts 4, the Bible says in verse number 31, and when they had prayed, the Bible puts a precedent upon preaching, upon testifying, upon exalting the Lord, and music, and various things that the church is involved with. The core part of the church but the Bible specifically says here, and when, and only then, when they had what? Pray. Prayed. Pray. Notice the Bible says, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. God again began to move and work in a wonderful way. I don't know about you, but I long to experience a shaken place. Please don't misunderstand me tonight, I love reading about revival. I love collecting the old books and reading the different stories and reading testimonies, especially those first editions of people that literally with their own eyes saw, they heard, they experienced, they were in the thick of it, they witnessed God moving and working in their generation. It stirs my heart. But am I allowed to say, I don't know, I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way, but I'm tired of being just a student of history. I want to see God do something. With my own eyes, I want to experience uh, and just to be able to sit in the back row, so to speak, and just partake and say, yes, God has showed up in our generation, God moving and working in our communities. And you stop and you think about America and the direction that we've gone and the uh, way that we're headed as a people, we are careening toward catastrophe. We're at that precipice in which there's no return. And maybe you call me crazy, but I believe tonight that judgment's coming. That if our current administration is reelected, without the Lord, America is going to burn. And if our current administration is not reelected, without the Lord, our country is going to burn. Heavenly Father, again, we come before you. I pray, God, that you would settle upon us. Would you rend the heavens tonight? a lot to ask, but Lord, I'm asking that you'd please stir hearts. We love you. Thank you for the privilege of serving you in Jesus name. I pray, amen. You may be seated. Our country has experienced the spiritual shaking before in generations past, and we are in desperate need to experience this again. The Bible says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken. The church in the book of Acts lived in the atmosphere of prayer. They prayed on every occasion. They prayed in prison, in their homes, in their church gatherings, in their private closets, and before even their very adversaries. They, they prayed for open doors. They prayed for guidance and boldness in their ministries. They prayed before, during, and after the battles, the struggles, and the hardships. They prayed that God would reveal his will and that he would frustrate and thwart the plans of Satan. They prayed for victory, for conquest spiritually, for supernatural power, for the walls of ritualism and formalism to be torn down. And they prayed for God to raise up workers and for God to add to the church. They prayed for souls to be saved. They prayed for revival. They prayed for the physical outpouring of God in their communities in which God shook the very place where they gathered together. They lived on their knees. They were a church mighty in prayer. I believe we find this testimony of the church Here in the book of Acts, not just for our enjoyment, but rather it's of course there, it does encourage us, but I believe it's there to exhort us and challenge us uh, in a sense to uh, see their example and their testimony and how that we ought to as well long for that shaking, amen, that we would long for God to do a work in our generation, that we would long for the power of God to be unleashed for our communities and for our nation to shake once again by the very hand of heaven, that we would have a deep craving, that we would have a thirsting and a hungering and a longing for the supernatural. For God to do something mighty and wonderful. I wonder tonight, please don't take this the wrong way, but how desperate are you for God? Could it be that part of the problem of modern day Christianity is that we're not desperate enough? Because what is biblical desperation? Desperation is this, in our hopeless situation. Have we woken up to the truth and the reality that that's where we're at? Portland uh, uh, mentioned and referenced here just a few minutes ago how that even in that same area, Bibles being burnt as the kindling for their rioting. The flag being trampled on. Burned. Anarchy. Protests in front of houses of worship. The church all across our nation. When will American Christians wake up to the truth that we are headed in a hopeless direction? The Bible says, and of course we stand out upon what we think or our own opinions, but the Bible says, God says, the only source of absolute truth in the entire universe, God says in the book of Psalm, chapter number 9, if I'm not mistaken, verse number 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. And you stop and you think, and we're not going to take the time to talk about our history or our heritage tonight. We'd be here for a while as you stop and think about the emphasis and the influence of the word of God. And of course, prayer, our belief in the Lord and longing for his providence, longing for his leadership, longing for his protection and his power, his provision on our behalf. As we as a colony was simply moving forward. And what we believed, as John Adams said, was the will of God for the two nations to be centered forever. And you stop and you think how we've forsaken God. And we have forgotten God as a people. Now we're following false gods and all these different things and now even the Satanism and the paganism that has creeped in to various aspects of our culture and education, even the philosophy of how people think out in the world, understand tonight that we are in a spiritual warfare that we are fighting for the souls of men we are fighting for the sake of our family we are fighting for the future of our nation for freedom of course that we enjoy as a people something that god gives something not given unto us by a government government is simply given and to guarantee the rights which heaven originally gave us there's no might that we can do to turn the tide And honestly, I think we've had it wrong for so many years. It's not about what we can do for God. It's about what God can do with us and through us for his glory and the gospel's sake that I am completely dead to self and I completely desire to be yielded over to the Lord so I can simply be an instrument, I can be a vessel, I can be an empty cup or a plate or uh, like the pen that I put over here on the table, that I would just be this sort of inanimate object, so to speak, where it's not about me, my own desires, my own dreams, my own goals, but rather Christ. Not I, but Christ. Lord, thee first, not me first. Lord, what is it that you have? God, how can you use me? Lord, I long for you to use me to make a difference. God, how in the world can this thing get turned around and there's nothing we can do to turn the tide, but God is the only one who can turn the tide. But what's so mind-blowing and so wonderful, are you kidding me, is that God, out of everything, wants to use us as his people, as his instruments to use in the turning of the tide. I don't know about you, but it's so overwhelming to stop and think how that God would want to use someone like me. God loves me. I don't have to serve him, but I get to serve him. To be a testimony, to be a witness, to brighten the corner where God has placed us, and if every single Christian just brightens their corner where God has placed them, our churches will be able to reach our communities, and then collectively as churches, we will be able to reach our country, and what is it? It's not us, uh, but rather it's the thus saith the Lord, as it says in Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 15, 14 and 15, that we are to be in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, we've got the answer tonight we've got the message everything they need everyone has a longing in their heart a fulfillment and satisfaction the only thing that can fulfill it the only person that can fulfill it, is jesus christ why in the world are we trying to do it in the function of our own flesh and could it be that as christians we're not desperate enough We think, yes, we need the Lord, but he's kind of supplemental. We have our buildings and we have our churches, we have our bank accounts and we have our means and we have our technology and we've got our physical wherewithal and mental capacity and all the different things that we could somehow try to structure and then God, will you bless what we are seeking to do, our own endeavors. I guarantee, I presume tonight that everybody in this room, from the balcony to the back to the front, all over the auditorium, we're all longing for a revival. We desire, I pray that's the case, amen, where we desire for the place to be shaken, for America to be shaken, for Hammond, Indiana to be genuinely shaken by the power of God, where souls in the hearts of men are swooning unto the love of Jesus Christ like in revival history. We're praying for revival. We want revival, but could it be, generally speaking, maybe specific, I don't know. Really wrestle with the Lord about this. But we're praying for revival, but we want to choose the time. We want to choose the methods. We want him to fit into our means and our schedule. We want God to work, but we want him to do it our way. We want him to meet our terms and to fulfill his mighty manifestation of power of course but to fulfill our own purposes we've laid down the conditions come Holy Ghost for thee we call spirit of burning come but but come our way come our way Holy Ghost come and as Leonard Ravenhill once said but please don't violate our theology Please don't upset our status quo. Please don't break our hearts over a lost world. And Dr. R.A. Tory made this accurate observation. He said, many pray for a revival. That certainly is a prayer that's pleasing to God. It is along the line of his will. But many prayers for revivals are purely selfish. The church desires revival in order that the membership may be increased, in order that the church may have a position of more power and influence in the community, in order that the church treasury may be filled, in order that a good report may be made at the conference. For such low purposes as these, churches and ministers oftentimes are praying for revival and oftentimes God does not answer the prayer. Why? Because revival is not for us. It's not for First Baptist Church of Hammond. It's not for Remnant Ministries. It's not for you put your name in there. It's simply for him, for his name to be exalted, for his glory to be unleashed, for his power to be unleashed. I pray tonight that we genuinely desire, sincerely desire and radically desire tonight for the heavens to be unleashed, for God's power to flow, for the anointing of God to heaven flow and run all over the place that we would desire for the outpouring of heaven in our communities, in our generation. Amen. America needs the place to be shaken. When they prayed, the place was shaken. When they prayed, the place was shaken. There has never been a true awakening anywhere on earth until there was a desperate church. Call me crazy. But as I've studied scripture, and I've seen the example of yesteryear, God only answers the prayers for revival from the saints who are desperate. We've not finished the definition, but desperation is, Dash, in our hopeless situation, turning solely to the one who alone can bring hope, help, and healing. That we were like, okay, sure, maybe the Lord has blessed us with this, or blessed us with that, or God has enabled us with, with such and such, and this, that, or the other. But that is irrelevant. That's not even in the picture. If God wants to use it, let him use it, amen? But we simply are a people in which we are at that point of desperation, a heart that is broken, a heart that is burdened, a heart that is burning, a longing in our soul, the very fiber of our being, something in which even it wakes us up in the middle of the night, something in which it consumes our mind. We desire for God through and through to do something marvelous and miraculous something that cannot be manipulated. I'm not accusing anybody of anything by saying that statement, but it's true. Something that cannot be manipulated, something that cannot be manufactured, but revival, a manifestation where God sweeps in, amen. Where God convicts, where God encourages, where God brings that renewing and that refreshing, that reigniting, that reviving, that bringing life again, living again. Oh, that we would experience the living again in our churches, that we would become desperate as they were. They sought the Lord, understanding that the place would not be shaken, uh, that they would not be able to stay in one accord, assembled together, that they would not be filled with the Holy Ghost, that they would not be able to go forward and preach the word of God with boldness if they didn't have the Lord doing and working and moving through them. Channels only, blessed master. How about Galatians 2.20? I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not me, but it's the Lord. Amen. Through and through. A fullness of his presence the indwelling of his presence and the anointing of his power, amen, which is the fullness of the Spirit, in which the cup runneth over. Oh, from the tip of our toes to the top of our head, that we would long for God, that we would be completely yielded and surrendered to the Lord, that we would desire that, that anointing, that fresh oil, if you will, that, that, that shaking of God, that moving of God. And you stop and you think about church history. Tonight, America has had some of the greatest revivals in human history. It's because it's had some of the greatest prayer warriors of human history. I believe tonight there will never again be a sweeping revival in America without prayer warriors, intercessors. The next revival will only come through men and women who are waiting on God in prayer. As the Bible says in James 5.16, we're familiar with the verse, right? You familiar with the verse? Raise your hand up in the air. Uh, Where the Bible says in the second sentence, the effectual fervent prayer. Are you familiar with it? Say amen, raise your hand up, come on. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And we long for not the availeth little, but the availeth much. Not just a trickling of God, but the torrent of heaven in which it's just a flood that's coming down. It's so wonderful, it's so miraculous, it's so marvelous, it's so mighty. Wow, look at this, God doing a work. The availeth much. It is possible. It's something that can happen, but not with the arm of man or flesh, but rather with the arm of the Lord and from him and him alone. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We must pray, we must pray effectually or with persistence that we would wait on God and that we would linger in his presence even as the Bible says, a little homework assignment, jot it down, Isaiah 64, verse number one down to verse number seven, study that out. It talks about how the eye hath not seen, the ear hath not heard, neither hath entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for them that wait for him. And oh, tonight that we will linger in the presence of God, that we belong in the presence of God, that we would shut ourselves up in a prayer closet somewhere I'm not talking about being like a Pharisee or some hypocrite where he's in it about his prayer life and his desire of this or that or the other but someone in which their heart is so overwhelmed and so broken and so burdened they're like Nehemiah as I read in my devotions this morning when he heard the news of what was happening in his generation the Bible says that he got alone somewhere privately and he broke and there he had to sit down because of the news of what he heard he couldn't believe the state of his generation he couldn't believe the state of his nation. And there he began to pray, the Bible says, and poured his soul before the Lord. And a result of that one prayer, or should I rephrase that one person praying, God did something wonderful. God began to do a work. The effectual fervent prayer. We must pray with persistence. We must pray Wanting God to do a work, waiting for God to do a work, but wanting God to do a work—the fervent prayer, the fervent prayer. Ian Bounds said this, and he said, "Powerful, powerful statement. Very convicting." He said, "Deeper the desire, the stronger the prayer. Without desire, prayer is a meaningless mumble of words. Such formal praying." <laughs> with no heart, no feeling, no real desire accompanying it, is to be shunned like a pestilence. And we can identify with that, can't we? You're saying, what part? I'm talking about the latter part. Shunning stuff like a pestilence. Washing our hands and the social distancing and this and that and the masks and all the regulations and all the logistics of this and that and the other. It's like, wow, you know, you're just like... <laughs> And if we found out someone had sickness or they had COVID or whatever it was, that we would stay away from that uh, uh, area as much as we could, as far away as we could. And may tonight the same vehemency and fervency and vigilance that we have to staying healthy and uh, not getting sick, may we also have a desire with a vehemency and a vigilance to shun tonight. A formal praying, praying in which it's just a mumble of words. No heart. John Bunyan, he he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. The second most, if I'm not mistaken, you can correct me if I'm wrong, after the service, I, I believe it's the second most published English book in the world besides the Bible. It's number two on the list of most published. And there in a prison cell, he wrote that, of course. But John Bunyan, he said this, when thou prayest, rather let thy heart be without words than thy words without a heart. Fervent prayer, someone who's wanting God to do a work wanting God and God alone turning to Him and Him alone, people who are driven to their knees, uh, craving for God uh, to shake the place, to shake the situation to whatever it might be. Uh, may we desire that movement of God, the earth shaking the ground, shattering the mountain, rending the heavenly rain outpouring movement of God in our churches and our homes in our lives uh, that we belong for God to wait on God to. Walk want God to work, to weep before the Lord. Weep before the Lord. We're not advocating tonight about working up some sort of physical antic. We're talking tonight about being so broken spiritually and emotionally. Okay, it, it might affect us physically. We might find ourselves laying prostrate on the floor we might find ourselves pacing back and forth. We might feel tears coming down our cheeks. We might find our hands wringing a little bit, maybe I don't know what it is. We all have our quirks, so to speak. But in the midst of that moment, a fervent prayer, as we seek the Lord, prevailing prayer, persistent prayer, intercessory prayer, that we are moved Could it be tonight that American Christians in general, that we are not moved to pray. We are not moved for the shaking of the place because our eyes have not affected our hearts. We have not taken the admonition of what Jesus said and to look on the fields. uh, And what he meant by that is, hey, stop being so self-centered. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields. Stop being so self-centered, looking at what this, that, and the other. Stop praying about yourself. Start praying for other people. Start looking at the scenario. Start looking at the situation. Lord willing, tomorrow, if God gives liberty, we'll preach in college chapel. And it may change. This Lord's in control of that, that's fine. But in Romans 13, 11, it says, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Could it be that this whole COVID crisis has caused the church to become more asleep? Could it be, and I'm not, who am I to put, who am I? More microscopic than a speck of dust to put words in God's mouth, come on. But could it be that he has sought to use this COVID crisis to bring revival, to see people saved and all these different things uh, for it to be a warning to the world uh, to say, hey, 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 the brevity of life and the frailty of life, the reality of life uh, that in a moment you could lose your job and you're you're suspended from being able to work and uh, have no source of income. And and just like that, the economy and the market and all these different things uh, turn upside down with something that has a survival rate of 99 point what? This is a nursery rhyme compared to what's to come. And to see how it has literally taken everything and shaken it up and thrown it out of the bucket and it's gone everywhere. To be a warning to the world that life is but a vapor, that it's here for a moment, then it vanishes away, that anything could change in a moment but also could it be that the Lord has sought to use this to be a wake-up call to the church, to get the church to to arise from the status quo and to arise from the slumbering and to arise from the sleeping? And could it be tonight we become so calloused and we become so cold and we become so crusty as a Christian tonight? Uh, uh, God is looking for a church that will weep, not a church that will remain asleep. I don't claim to know anything. With what little travels we have, it's been nonstop, honestly, but with the little traveling that we've done, this sounds so judgmental and critical, I have no desire for it to be this. But I'm concerned, I'm genuinely concerned. I think about my children. I think about literally, are you kidding me? It's like you gotta slap yourself, pinch yourself, am I really living this right now? What's going on in our nation? I really thought it would wake up the church. It could've be that it's done the opposite don't have to turn there, and I'm not seeking to... We're all over the place tonight, I understand. We're just preaching a thought, a burden, about when they had prayed, the place was shaken. And different things from the Lord that we can jot down. I encourage people to take notes, not because of what I say, but things that God may speak in you, and God may give you in the still, small voice, something that you can meditate upon, something that you can put on a sticky note, and there put on the dashboard of your vehicle, or on the coffee pot, or something, so you can meditate upon these things, as it says in Psalm 39, verse number three, when I was musing, the fire burned... Oh, that we'd get on fire for God, a minister is a flaming fire, a flame of fire, the Bible says. But it's interesting, and you could jot down the reference if you wish, First Corinthians 9.10. Talks about the church being skittish, worrisome. We're not going to go there, we're not going to read it, but could it be? That's what's happening today. People have become more skittish, more worrisome. In the same chapter there, in verse number 16 and 17, uh, it talks about uh, we become more comfortable. We become more withdrawn, more withdrawn toward the end of that chapter, it talks in verse number uh, 24 through 27, it talks about uh, if I myself preach to others but I'm not living it, uh, then I, I, I'm worse than a, I'm, I'm like a castaway, I'm like a worthless piece of scrap metal or I'm like a, uh, the end of that two by four that was trimmed off and it's just kind of like a scrap or that pl- piece of sheetrock, you know, that's been used and you really don't know what to do with it, you just discard it, you know, let the kids play with it, do something with it, but it has no value, no Purpose, no point," he said. "If I myself, through this, become more carnal, more carnal, could it be that's what's happened over these past several months? We've become more skittish. We've become more comfortable. We've become more carnal. We become more worrisome as a Christian, as an individual, as a." living epistle of Jesus Christ someone who is to let their light shine in this whole world desiring revival the church always known to be on the front lines, sleeves rolled up down in the trenches fighting for the souls of men being ministers of mercy people who are seeking to bring them in from the fields of sin and tonight may this be an encouragement to keep on keeping on to not grow weary in the well-doing but to stay faithful Amen. keep being plugged into the Lord keep on praying and keep on going and keep on preaching and don't stop God is going to use it. Use this as an encouragement, a warning that we don't become skittish, that we don't become comfortable, that we don't become carnal. And it, it's alluding to the fact that when we become carnal, that we become worthless. That's harsh. Nobody likes to hear that. Everybody tonight, I guarantee you're not going to go to the sink They're at home or the apartment or wherever it is that you're standing. and you're going to go find a dirty dish in the sink or the dishwasher and pull it out and use it. For a midnight snack, right? No, you're gonna wash it first. Clean it first, go, go to the cabinet and pull out a fresh clean plate utensil vessel. God desires for his people to be set apart, sanctified, meat for the master's use, prepared unto every good work, people also who are zealous of good works, people who are desiring not our works. That's not what we're talking about by works, good works, but rather the work of God through us. That's good work, amen. The best thing that we can possibly do in and of ourselves is slipshod at best. And man, that thing is going to fall apart. Just give it time, even gently blow. And the thing is going to come crumbling down. But the things of Jesus Christ that are built, they will last. And God desires to perform his works through us. We're talking tonight about the place shaken, the concepts of revival, desiring God to do something in our generation. And we see here, are you still with me? Would you say amen? There in our text verse of Acts 4.31, the Bible says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken, that we would be a people of prayer, that we would be proactive in our prayer, that we would understand that prayer is the catalyst that is necessary to unleash that key that unleashes and unlocks the portals of glory. People who pray where prayer is focused, power will fall. The old statement, much prayer, much power. Some prayer, some power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. Leonard Ravenhill said this, no man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who's not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. We have many organizers, but few agonizers, many players and payers, few prayers, many singers, few clingers, lots of pastors, uh, few wrestlers, many fears, few tears, much fashion, little passion, many interferers, few intercessors, many writers, but few fighters, falling or failing here, we fail everywhere. E.M. Bounds said this, a couple of statements that we'll give you tonight. Ian e. Bounds, uh, a preacher of yesteryear, God mightily used to encourage so many people to be faithful in seeking the Lord. He said, he said this, and he observed this, what the church needs today is not more machinery, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. R.A. Torrey said this, the devil is not afraid of machinery. He is only afraid of God. See this impressive campus, he ain't ain't scared of this thing. The Bible says the devils believe and they tremble. Means their bodies are gripped with paralysis. Can't move. God has given us the very promise that the church will be able to move forward being built by the hand of God in Matthew 16:18, The very gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And as we go forward, we can see that shaking, amen. The devil hates prayer, the devil's going to do everything he can to remove people from praying, to discourage people from praying, not being the prayer warriors that they ought to be, and wanting God to work, and waiting upon the Lord, weeping before God, that desperation, that desire, that heart cry for God to manifest himself in a glorious way, for God to do whatever it is that he needs to do, that God would turn the tide, that God would build the church, that God would cause the church to go forward uh, and gain victory and save wonderful and noble things. Torrey said, the devil is not afraid of machinery, is only afraid of God. And machinery without prayer is machinery without God. For you see, all that God is and all that God has is at the disposal of prayer. Every mighty move of the Spirit of God has always had its source in Prayer. Revival does not come because of the eloquence of a great preacher or because of the power of a great organization. Revival never begins with a great noise or with great crowds. Revival is the supernatural, spontaneous work of God which commences in the secret place of passionate, prevailing prayer and intercession. It begins the hearts of christians who dare to believe that god can still fulfill his word today that as god so moved in yesteryear that god can so move today that the same god of the welsh revival and the second great awakening and the first great awakening and the awakening of the isle of lewis in the 1949 and 1954 and there's so many other things that we could go through in ireland uh, uh, in 1859 various places uh, throughout church history you stop and you think about the manifold grace of god the goodness of god the glory of god shining moving and working in wonderful ways that still that's power is still available today it's only available when we pray and when they had prayed. I think it's fascinating tonight that we sang, I don't know if it was something that was on the schedule or was just spontaneous, that uh, he's able. Was that just something random or did you, on the schedule, okay. He's able, I know he's able. But could it be that at times we live as if he can't? Could it be that many times, the reason we're, we, we say we're praying for revival, but we suffer from that sin of unbelief Dr. Torrey said this as well. Doubtless, one of the great secrets, listen to this, this is is crazy. Doubtless, one of the great secrets of the unsatisfactoriness and superficiality of many of our modern so-called revivals. You want to know the secret of many of these superficiality of the revivals that we have today? He said, is that more dependence is put on man's machinery than upon God's power, which can only be sought and obtained by earnest, persistent believing. Prayer. that will pray and believe it. Many times Christians, and I myself, am so guilty of this. Tonight I don't preach this message because I'm comfortable with it or because I'm some prayer warrior, but because I am in desperate need to become when I'm preaching. God have mercy on me tonight. I'm guilty of this. Many times Christians are defeated even before they get started. They are not fueled by faith and filled with a fire of what God can do. I believe today we need real, radical prayers. As my dear friend, Johnny Pope, he's like an uncle to me. He says, Gaptists, Gaptists. People who believe that God is and that God is able. People who will engage in prayer that shakes the status quo and stirs our hearts with what is possible only through God. The Bible says, join me church in Acts 4.31. And when they had what? Prayed. Prayed. We're almost through tonight. Is everybody okay? Would you say amen? F.B. Meyer wrote this. The greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. The American Christian spends about an average of 15 minutes a day in prayer to the Lord, according to statistics. That's convicting. He says, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. It's there, amen, A promise of God. Call unto me and I will answer thee. And we need to keep on, keep on praying and 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 have that importunity as Jesus talked about, that effectual prayer, that energetic prayer, that prayer that is perpetually in motion seeking God's face until the answer comes that we would long for God, that we would, that we would uh, long for the Lord and that we would uh, there live in his presence, having a desire, waiting in God, desiring God, oh God, please would you run the heavens many times. Prayers of yesteryear. People on their knees begging the Lord, not just a week, but years, years, before the first spark was struck, before the first movement. Where are the people that are in it to win it? I don't know how else to word it. People who say, Yes, Lord, yes, we want to see the place shaken, and we will pray and we will pray and we will keep on praying. But church tonight, could it be the reason we're not seeing the power and the reason we're not seeing the answers is because we're not praying as we ought to be. Tonight, church, please. I don't I don't know if the, I, I don't know tonight if this is for you. I know it's for me. Our lack of prayer, listen to this, this is powerful. Our lack of prayer is our greatest form and expression of pride before the Lord. Because when we don't pray, we are personally telling God, I don't need you. I can shake the place without you. I can fill the bus. I can teach the Sunday school class. I can be the dad or the parent, the mom that I need to be, ought to be, can be. God, I don't need you. I can do this without you. God, have mercy on us tonight if we are guilty for telling God frequently through our sinful pride of prayerlessness to buzz off. Because that is what we're doing every single time. I'm convicted by that. I mean, I call me, I just, there's a deepness in my heart. Even as I speak, I'm not being sensational. I'm being honest and transparent. It's so true of so many times that we think we can do it. And then, uh, Oh Lord, I, I just seem to be able, I can't seem to make sense of this. high nor hair. What I'm supposed to do. Oh Lord, please, would you now help? I'm guilty of it. How about you tonight? The Bible says in Psalm 63, early will I seek thee. Or you know what? I'm going to seek you first and foremost. God, I want you to be preeminent. I want you to be the Lord. Oh God, my God, I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory as I've seen thee in the sanctuary. And oh God, just as we've seen you move and work in church history of yesteryear, oh God, just like your presence and power, so wondrously and so mightily would show up in days of old. God, we want to see it today. We thirst for it. We yearn for it. We long for it. We seek it. We crave it. So God, in our desperation, we're going to turn solely to the one who alone can bring the hope, the help, and the healing. Oh, God. Desperate prayer, could it be tonight? Desperate prayer is one of the greatest forms of humility between us and the Lord because we're being brought to a place where we're saying, God, I can't do it. God, I don't know how to do it. God, I'm a failure without you. The arm of flesh will fail putting my trust in princes and in horses. As he says in Psalm 118, God, that's going to fail. As he says in Psalm 119, it's time for us to seek the Lord. Amen. Time for us to get a hold of God, just like Jacob wrestled with the angel out in the middle of the night in the desert, and not let him go until he'll bless. That we would seek Him passionately and perpetually in that motion of prayer, in that hard longing for God tonight. I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over and over, but I pray that some word is taking root. We all long for the place to be shaken, but only when we pray. Will that even be a remote possibility in the physical reality? We're almost through tonight. Prayer is the absolute acknowledgement of God, we need you. Prayer is the utter yielding and longing for God and God alone. Prayer is that insatiable craving for the mighty power of God to be unleashed upon our lives and our churches and our nation. And the Bible says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken. But many times in Scripture, you'll find how frequently that it's in the singular tense, not the plural. The Bible says, and we've already quoted the verse a couple of times in James 5.16, the effectual fervent prayer of a who? Righteous just one person, availeth much, in conclusion tonight, uh, let's, let's finish in, in Ezekiel chapter number 22, Ezekiel chapter number 22, we do not want to tarry tonight, Ezekiel chapter number 22, we see something here in which uh, the word of God, uh, God speaking, his heart is so filled with anguish and brokenness, it is talking about how that he went through the priests and went through the princes in verse number 26, 27, went through the prophets in verse number 28, went through the people of the land in verse number 29, and look in Ezekiel 29, verse number 30, he says, and I sought for a man among them, singular. I sought for a man, just one person among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. And the Lord cried this through Ezekiel there in this passage of scripture. And I believe in our day, the cry is the same. And there is a great need for intercessors, brothers and sisters in Christ, to unify before the Lord, crying out for salvation and crying out for hope and crying out for reconciliation, crying out for restoration, crying out for revival. People that will agonize before the throne for the church to be delivered from its spiritual slumber its spiritual slump and for our communities within which we are called to be lighthouses to shake with the power and awareness of God. Such was the state of the land. A great gap stood open wide through which at any moment the divine wrath and judgment of God might pour out. But what should break our hearts is the state of the professing people. There was not one man who was interested or eager to stand in intercession and through prayer seek the Lord to stem that awful tide. And here we are able to take a glimpse into the brokenness and sorrow that filled the heart of God. He said, I found none. These words were desperately sobbed. Words which burn with unspeakable anguish and pain. In which God, through these words, was asking, does anyone care? Is anyone interested? I'm willing to spare if there's just but one. The truth is, God delights in mercy. Yet even divine mercy cannot perpetually operate in the face of persistent sin. I believe there is a point between mercy and judgment where the weight of iniquity looses the floodgates of judgment. There's only one thing that can stem this awful tide, a sufficient prayer force, an intercession on the part of the people of God. People who will stand in the gap, people who will pray You understand tonight that the conditions for revival, when revival is needed and revival can come, the conditions are always the same. Pastor said it tonight, the darker the night, the brighter the light. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. When there's utter hopelessness, that's when the miracles are able to flourish. The conditions for revival are the same. The God of revival is the same. The people that God can use to bring about revival, the same, it's us, it's us. I pray tonight that we would seek the Lord and desire for our nation to be shaken. True intercession, this prayer, seeking the Lord, standing before him in the gap, is the only thing that's going to save America. May I gently ask tonight, did you pray today? How long did you pray? This is not to put anybody in a guilt trip. How much time were your prayers about you? Did we pray even five minutes today for America? Did we pray for revival? If we prayed for revival, was it what with the, with the right desires? not our motives, but just for God to be unleashed and God to do whatever it is that he wants to do in our generation. Did we pray with a fervency? Filled and fueled with the fire of faith in God? Did we pray? Because only when we pray, the place will be shaken.